It's so good to see everyone this morning. It was a little strange. For the first time in almost the entire year, we didn't have an upcoming gospel meeting. Had to take that off this morning. But we sure did have a good one, and I pray that we're all thinking about this coming year and opportunities to invite some men to spend some time with us and also for, hopefully, Lord willing, another community Bible study. As we went through this gospel meeting, we have, and, and we continue to have our billboard, we've had a lot of inquiries and questions about what is South Franklin Church of Christ doing? What are we about? And in particular, as we went through this gospel meeting with Brother Donnie Rader, we saw that why we believe it makes a difference what our beliefs are. And in that study that happened on Thursday night, we learned that there's an objective standard. There is one faith. It is possible to believe a lie and be lost. One can be religious and be wrong. And have. And then the last point was there are absurd consequences. And then on Friday night, we talked about, I'm sorry, on Saturday night, why we believe it makes a difference that there is only one church. I'm sorry, there is a delay between my screen and what's up there. Sorry about that. So why we believe there is only one church. And Jesus, and the reasons for that is Jesus only promised one church. The Bible says there is just one. The Bible is silent about churches. It makes a difference what one believes, and that division is wrong. Now, Brother Donnie, as he brought us this lesson, he did not mention the characteristics of that one church. He instead focused on that there was one church. And so this morning, as Brother Donnie and I spoke, we thought it would be a great follow-up and how some of the conversations are going in the community, that we should follow up on what the characteristics are of the one church. And so when we start to think about that, we first must need to ask ourselves a question. And that first question is, when was the one church established? Because if we looked up a lot of different religious names in the world that surrounds us, people that believe in something other than themselves, or that there is no deity, we will see lots of start dates associated with those groups. But what should we be looking for if we are searching for this one church and we are considering what the Bible has to say? Well, we would argue that one should start in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And Brother Donnie expanded upon this as he discussed the establishment of the one church. But I want to compare and contrast that to how the one church or the upcoming church that would be established was referenced prior to Acts 2. And for that, we could look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, we read, And I say also, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will 
build my church, and on the gates of Hades, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So in Matthew chapter 16, we're referencing something that would occur. And in Acts chapter 2, and every time after Acts chapter 2, we reference something that was in existence. So if you are starting out on your journey, and you are looking for this one church, you should ask yourself, when was it established? And I will say that as you look at different religions, there is a factual of when it started, and then there's sometimes this um, sleight of hand, if you will, or man's interpretation in trying to connect back to what we read in the Bible. So please be careful as you look for when a church really established. There's a lot of false information, and just because it's on the Internet does not make it true. So if we're looking for this one church, and we're looking for the characteristics of this one church, the next question we should ask, where does the name come from? As we all are very familiar, the names matter. And many names of religious groups exist in the world Today, Catholics reference that their name from the Greek, Catholicos, is a combination of two words, kata, which is concerning, and holos, whole. And they say that this is a universal term, that the Catholics are the universal church. Looking at a Catholic, the Catholic's uh, website that was in English, not in uh, some of uh, languages that uh, Latin and others that I, I do not understand, they said the term Catholic was appropriated to describe the nature of Christ's mystical body, the church. Well, when we open our Bibles, the inspired word of God, and we look for this name Catholic, we will, we will not find it. Furthermore, we could have and we observe the name Lutheran, which pays tribute to a man. We see Baptists, um, and they are often identified on two, exalting two particular ordinances. Looking at the Baptist distinctive website, it reads, Baptists consistently declare that baptism and the Lord's Supper are symbols. Those two particular ordinances... However, they are not necessary for salvation. Others would be and go by the name of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In the doctrines and covenants of the Latter-day Saints, we read in DNC chapter 115 and there verse 4, it says, In the Latter-day, the Lord revealed the name of his church to Joseph Smith, saying, Thus shall my church be called in the last days, even the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We do not read of any of these so far in the Bible. And as we continue with the Methodists are often attributed to the methodology and the approach to religious matters. They had a very methodical um, and, and logical and reason to their faith, and that's why they call themselves the Methodists or the Presbyterians. As we read in the Westminster Confession of Faith, they say our present church government is not an exact replica of the government of the New Testament church in the apostolic era. 
Now, we just went through six day, six lessons, not six days, six lessons on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this past week. And we saw without any question that why we believe matters and where we go to our source. And so if we cannot look for these and find these names in the Bible, I would argue that we have a problem. So let's look and see what in the Bible people who came together refer to themselves as. In Romans 16, verse 16, we see greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 we read, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus our Lord, both theirs and ours. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We have in Hebrews... Here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. We see in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. Now when his epistles is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you may likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 1, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in good, in God, sorry, the Father of the, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have just read book, chapter, and verse, how Christians in the Bible refer to themselves. We saw that the churches of Christ, the church of God, church of the living God, the house of God, church of the firstborn, church of some town that the Christians were meeting in, are examples where if someone asks, where do you go? Where is this distinguishment of the one church that Brother Donnie Rader discussed? We should go to the Bible. We should look for an example to say, is that right? Or are we coming up with our own way, our own interpretation of what we should call ourselves? We will discuss that a name is not the only thing as we go through this list. Number three, as we look at the characteristics of the one church, we need to ask ourselves, what guides the one church? Is it the creed? Is it a statement of faith? Is it a set of documents, manuals, ordinances, etc. that decide what we do and what we practice? Or is it the Bible and only the Bible? See, we have to stop and ask ourselves this question. Why do these other documents exist? Why do conventions exist? Well, if you have two 
people that refer to themselves as Christians and they have a disagreement on about an idea, they distinguish and develop a statement of faith or a creed to extinguish themselves or distinguish themselves from one and another. We got into the discussion of denominations and why that is not uh, permissible in the Bible and that we need to accept that there is one church. So the Bible, instead of these creeds and man-made documents, they don't, the Bible does not change, but every creed, every statement of faith, every ordinance, every manual, every set of documents that these other religious groups have, they do change. So we can go to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 32 and see that everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. We see this principle repeated throughout the Bible. When God says and commands to do something and man decides he has a better idea or a better way of going about it, that God is not pleased with those actions. We further can look in Mark chapter 7, 7 through 9, our scripture reading this morning, that the traditions that man develop are not acceptable to God and should not be put on a level playing field with God, much less above God's word, which was happening in the first century when we look at the Pharisees. And it says in Mark chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines and the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And in verse 9, he said to them, And too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. God does not look at the traditions, the creeds, and the statements of man. He expects us to follow his word and his word alone. We see that the Bible is complete and the perfect word of God. We read in 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that, man, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We've clearly seen by Brother Rader there is just one church. And so far this morning, as we have compared the names and the guidance or the um, and um, and the guidance of various groups, we have established the Word of God as the only authoritative document that we can go by. So as we move forward, we're going to look at the examples we see in the Holy Word of God as we look at these characteristics of the one church. Next, number four, we would like to look at this morning, what is the structure of the one church? First, we need to see that Christ is the head. We see this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. We can also go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, we read, 
and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits, who fills all in all. The body that we just read about, that Christ is the head, is comprised of individuals. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 through 14 and verse 17. So we'll start in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where we read, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then we skip down to verse 27 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we read, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And we further look that the individuals who have turned their lives to God and seek to obey God, join themselves together. And we could look and see this example in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. A local congregation is not institutionally tied to any other congregation, but stands on its own as an independent self-governing group. We'll see more about this in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 as we conclude today's study. Furthermore, and lastly on this um, idea of the structure of the one church, we see that elders only oversee their congregation. We can go to Acts chapter 20 verses 17 and 28 to see this. So as we turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 20, we look in verse 17. We see from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the, of the church. We were studying about this this morning in our Bible class. And as we look at verse 28, we notice, Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. There is not one place in all of the Bible that we read of a group of elders over one congregation having any oversight or responsibility of any other congregation. So, so far this morning, as we consider the characteristics of the one church, we have looked at when was the church established? Where does a name come from? Where does the group that they refer to themselves, is it found in the Word of God? What guides the one church? Is it creeds or man-made doctrine or traditions? Or is it the Bible? We see that there is a structure identified and outlined in detail in the Word of God of the one church, and now let us ask, what are the acts of worship? When you come together as a group, if you are part of the one church, are you going to the Bible to define what actions you will be conducting and how you will be conducting them in regards to your worship? First, we look at the Lord's Supper. 
We just finished observing that. We can go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. And we read now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. We consistently see the idea of brethren coming together in one place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there spends a lot of time discussing and addressing the, how the Lord's Supper was being observed incorrectly. But we do notice seven times in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that they were coming together to partake of the Lord's Supper. We have in Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 28, how Jesus is implementing and focusing the minds of what should be looked at and thought about during the Lord's Supper. And we read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So we see as we look at acts of worship on the Lord's day, Acts 27 tells us this to be on the first day of the week. It doesn't say that we're to take any first day of the week off. It says that we are to remember the Lord's death on the first day of the week when we combine 1 Corinthians 11, Matthew 26, 26 through 28, and a variety of other passages. Next, as we look through the Bible, we see that Christians would collect a giving, a collection on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each of one of you lay something aside, storing up as he prospered, that there be no collections when I come. There is no other means or methods or authorization to raise funds for a local group anywhere in the Bible? Do we seek to follow the pattern or do we try to turn the local church into a business, a fundraiser or social activity? The Bible is clear. Is that our guide? Next, we look at the act of singing. Singing occurs in the New Testament. We have two passages that we will often look at for guidance and instruction and the commandment of how we are to sing together as a group. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, we read, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We also would refer to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, we read, Let the word of, the Christ, of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We do not see that there is an individual participating in this or that a select group of us would join up in the front of a service and sing. Instead, we see the instruction 
that the entire congregation, no one was abstaining from singing. Furthermore, we do not see the use of instruments. It took religious groups that are often mentioned at the beginning of our lessons some 600 years to start experimenting with the use of instrumental music. What does the Bible teach? In Ephesians 5.19, what we see on the screen here, making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Greek word for making melody is silo. It is a very general, generic Greek word. And it simply means to pluck. Now, there have been a lot of groups that have tried to infuse other meanings into a word, but this word is simple. This word never defines what it plucks, ever. In any writing, you will never see it carry that weight. It just simply means to pluck. And so if we were to use or authorized to use instrumental music, instead of plucking your heart, it would have said to pluck something else. But it doesn't. And there is no way you can force that meaning into making melody or that Greek word silo as many have tried to do. Furthermore, we see prayer as a part of Christians that come together that are a part of the one church on the Lord's day. We see in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, it says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they, link that they, um, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things which you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We will not read the rest of that text. But what this passage teaches us is who we are to pray to. We can see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which we referenced a moment ago, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread, which is a reference to the Lord's Supper, and in prayers. Prayers should be a part of our coming together on the Lord's day. Lastly, we will see an example of preaching and teaching the Word of God. We go back to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bed, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and... In prayers. Now, there will be some that say, Well, preaching occurred on the Sabbath day. We can look in Acts chapter 13, 17, and 18, which we recently studied in our Sunday morning Bible class. But I would argue that instead of using this as an example for worship, because we do not see any of these other activities highlighted for the Sabbath day, this is a great example for us to see that it is proper to teach the gospel among non-Christians when opportunities arise to speak where they are gathered. That is what we read and are taught with Acts chapter 13, 17, and 18. So what did we look at? When we take away what man thinks, what man believes, and we go to the Word of God and we seek what would be the characteristics of the one church, the acts of worship on the Lord's day, we see that there are five 
distinct, specific items that we should be participating in and how we should be participating them in them. For those of you, we went through a lot of scriptures very quickly, and those that may be listening to this um, that, that may never have heard this before, we encourage you to uh, download the slides that will be uploaded. And not only do we have the verses, but we will also have this summary. And that includes that we are to remember the Lord's death with the Lord's Supper. We are to collect, we are to sing, we are to pray, and we are to teach the Word of God. Does that describe what we are doing today? What you may be doing at your group that is listening to this in our podcast or off our sermon? If not... Why not? Why not follow what we read in the Word of God? For we read in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. We looked at, at the beginning of this lesson. We see that man has been about creating their traditions and their documents and their creeds on how to interpret. We see it happening with the Pharisees. And what did God, what did Jesus say to them? You have raised your thoughts, your opinions above my commandments. God will have the exact same opinion about us if that is what we do. For we further read in 1 Peter 4.11, If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified, not man, it's not about us, but it is about glorifying God through Jesus Christ to whom belong to the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Number six, as we look at the characteristics of the one church, what is taught regarding the plan of salvation? On January 30th, 2022, we looked at a lesson here on the, um, what must I do to be saved? I'd encourage you to go back to that lesson. In that lesson is this chart, the steps of salvation. From being a sinner lost, no hope, to understanding that there is nothing you could have done. Nothing to pay the debt of sin. But God had a part in preparing a way for redemption. And that man's part required us to go through an understanding that we, have, that we cannot pay that debt, that we have sinned, and that we must ultimately repent of our sins, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and be baptized, but it does not end there. It does not end there. Because we must remain faithful until the end. We also have gone through, in a previous lesson, on September 11, 2022, and I would encourage any of our listeners to go back to that lesson on how funds should be spent. When you're looking at the one church and looking for an example of trying to find that, I strongly encourage you to ask the questions, how are the funds being spent? On September 11, 2022, we discussed the church's authorized work of benevolence as one of those ways and how the church funds should be spent. For time purposes, we will not go through the entirety of that lesson this morning as we did not with the plan of salvation. We encourage you to look at those, question these two charts, go back to the lessons, look at all the verses given and ask yourself, is that what you're seeing? 
when you go to and join yourself with a group, that one church that we read about in the Bible? Lastly, we have to ask ourselves this question. Why does it matter? Why can't there be many different flavors, if you will? Why can't you have your truth and I have my truth? Because that's not what we read about in scriptures. It's never been what we read about in scriptures. As we finished up our lesson um, in looking at the seven churches that are listed in Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations chapter 3, we see that there were seven individual congregations that were all considered to be a part of the one church. Of those seven individual congregations, we see that five were in jeopardy of losing their candlestick. Five of seven. Only two, Smyrna and Philadelphia, had nothing that they were condemned for. Only two of the seven. Then we have two where there wasn't a whole lot of good said about what they were doing. And then we have three. And I want us to look at Ephesus. Ephesus had a lot of good things said about them. They were active workers in the kingdom. They tested those who claimed to be apostles. They didn't just take their word. They tested. They looked at scriptures and said, Are you really an apostle of God? They refused to tolerate false teaching. If you look at this table in your spare time, you will see that that was a problem for several of these congregations and is partly why they were about to lose their candlestick. They would not take a stance against false teaching. They kept heart during tribulations. When things got rough and they were faced with obstacles, they remained faithful to God. But Ephesus is not listed up here. It says in Ephesus that their candlestick was about to be removed. Why was that? They had left their first love. This column over here, they were praised for many of the things we talked about. Paul brought the elders together in Acts chapter 20 that we read about this morning and encouraged them to remain faithful, to resist false teachers. We see those actions many years later in Jesus Christ giving a, an account of where they stood. They'd heeded. But they had left their zeal or passion for Christ. They had left their first love. And what was the consequence? They were going to lose their candlestick if they did not repent. Why? In our Wednesday night classes, we've been studying Exodus. In chapter 25, in verse 8 and 9, we see that God wanted to dwell with His people, but there was a condition. They must follow the pattern. We see that reference then in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. See, what we read of in the Old Testament was a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things to come. And God expects us, just like He expected them, to follow the pattern. There's not one thing we can take away from that pattern. Not one. And the lesson of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 
of many lessons that we get from this review that we did is that God expects to follow the pattern. And the only place we can get that pattern is by looking and examining the Word of God. So we encourage all of us to think about the importance that there is one church identified in Scripture. Brother Donnie Rader did a fantastic job in that review and that summary. Hopefully today, as you think about and you believe that there is one church, that you will ask yourselves the question, what are the characteristics of that one church? And that you will humbly examine what I read in scriptures versus what I observe when I gather with others. Ask yourself, when was the church established? Where does our name come from? What guides our congregation? What is the structure of our group? What are the acts of worship that we participate in? What is the plan of salvation that is taught? How should funds be spent? And may we never forget the importance that we read in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, that it does matter what we do. Let us not create, develop, or follow any man-made pattern. Let's follow what God says, and let's stick to His Word, and let that be our guide. We offer the invitation song for anyone that needs to confess their faith, to repent and to submit their lives to God, or if there's been a sin that's been publicly committed and that needs to be repented of, if you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.